Well, on the screen are Laura and Roger Griffiths from London. They became pretty well known a few years ago when they won about a $3 million lottery. Had a very public celebration. They they did what so many people do in that situation. They bought a, a new house. They bought a lot of cars. Went on a lot of vacations. And, and again, they became pretty well known because they were very public about their win. But as is all too common in, in people that win the lottery, six years later, they had lost all the money and they were deep in debt and their marriage came to an end. In fact, uh, Roger ended up driving away from the house, leaving his wife behind in one of those fancy cars that they had bought. And then sadly, that house, that dream house they bought, actually caught fire and burned down. And you might see their name come up in different financial magazines about taking you know, caution when it comes to how we spend money. But it's just an interesting story of somebody that all this money that they won, but there was no real satisfaction there. They were always trying to pursue something else with that money or buy the next thing or buy the next thing. And before it was over in six years, $3 million gone. And again, they were deep in debt and their lives had been turned upside down. I love the statement by Devon Franklin. He says, I define success as peace. I define success as peace. You know, success, as Tony Robbins says, without fulfillment is, is failure. And whether it's somebody that won the lottery and there's just that restlessness, or, or maybe it's somebody else that got to that dream position and they got that title and there's no peace there, Real success is defined as peace. You read through scripture and it talks about faith is defined as peace, a sense of real rest. And so we're going to look at some of that here this morning that can be yours and mine. If it's not, it can be this day. And we'll see a number of spiritual principles that we can apply to our lives to continue going through this Lenten season. So when we arrive at Resurrection Sunday, it's a, a tremendous celebration and a, a deeper commitment and a thriving faith that we find in our lives. An unknown person said the road to significance is not straight. There's a curve called failure. A loop called perplexity, speed bumps called friends, red lights called enemies, caution lights called family. You will have flats called trials, but if you have a spare called faith, an engine called grace, insurance called truth, fuel called love, and a driver named Jesus, you'll make it to that place called significance. So let's turn to Hebrews chapter 7, two verses, verse 25, 26, here in the context, the writer, maybe it's Paul, it might be somebody else, but the writer here is talking about the difference between the high priest in the Old Testament that served in the temple and Jesus, the new permanent high priest today. The main thing to note about the high priest in the Old Testament is two things. One, it's said over and over, they were sinners themselves, but ultimately each one of them died and had to be replaced. And so the writer of Hebrews says in Christ, the eternal one, he's that final, the high priest, and we'll see a number of definitions of what that means that we can celebrate who he is. And let's turn to Hebrews 7 verse 25. We're told this, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because as high priest, he always lives to intercede for them. What does that mean in plain English? Simply this, our high priest, Christ, he's praying for you. He's praying for me. As important and as blessed it is to pray one for another, 
We're told ultimately the high priest Christ is praying for you. He's praying for me. And so that is where we can stop and say, no matter what's taking place, I then have rest. I have peace. True success is defined as peace. And I have that because my high priest, your high priest, ever liveth to pray for you and for me. The New Testament's only glimpse of what Jesus is doing right now, it depicts him at the right hand of God. And as Philip Yancey says, in three years of active ministry, Jesus changed the moral landscape of the planet. And now for 2,000 years, he uses another tactic, prayer. Let me share the story of Allison Topperwine to show again what it is to know that high priest in a personal sense and to live and breathe and say, I know he lives to intercede on my behalf. Allison Topperwine was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. She had a toxic marriage that she had left, and now she's getting weaker. She goes to a doctor and says, what can I do? He says, the only thing that helps, that we know helps Parkinson's is exercise. But she's exhausted. How do you exercise? But she pushed herself, and she began to take small walks, then longer walks, then she began to run. And now today, Allison Topperwine She herself has competed two times on American Ninja. The only person with Parkinson's to do so, she's inspired thousands of people facing their own illnesses to say, if she can do that, I can do that. And she has tremendous health today. And how does she do that? She says, I use exercise and a positive faith-based focus. You see, because we can stop and say, you know, life may throw the curveball, but whatever that is, My high priest, your high priest, lives to intercede. As Rose of Lima said, 500 years ago, apart from the cross, there is no other ladder by which we may go to heaven. But in him, we know that we have that faith that is a gift from God to believe and trust and know that he is risen and he is risen indeed. And in that risen life, he prays on your behalf and mine. Give you another example. I love this here. Ruth Sukup shared about how she learned that what we consider rules in life don't really apply. Rules such as, you know, conforming to other people's expectations or always trying to be that people pleaser or afraid of somebody's disappointment, rejection. What happened for Ruth in her 20s? A bad marriage came to an end, found herself depressed, tried to take her own life three times. The third time she almost succeeded took all these sleeping pills. She was rushed to the hospital by the fire department on the way there. Her heart stops beating. They restart her heart, but she's in a coma now. Stays in a coma for weeks. She wakes up. She put into a psychiatric hospital for the next two years. She said, this is where I learned that rules don't apply. Because in that psychiatric hospital, she said, people did not do what you might expect them to do. They might start throwing things in the middle of the hallway. They might start yelling at each other right there at the lunchroom. They might break down and cry. All these things that people hide in public no longer applied. People walked around in bathrobes in the middle of the day. And she says, it was so liberating. I came out of that experience, not only healed, but delivered from this trap of always trying to say, what does everybody else think? And she herself now shares it was her faith that brought her through. And she says, the good life to me is this. A life rich in family, faith, friends, creativity, and building treasures in heaven rather than here on earth. Because true success, again, is what? It's peace. 
Daniel Henderson, who's written much about prayer, says the best way to apply God's word is to pray it. Then to live it out. So if you're facing something difficult or I'm facing something, how do we pray that out? Just begin to claim every day. Thank you, God, my high priest, Christ, is praying for me right now. And because of that, I have this peace, this rest, in spite of circumstances. Let me share something that's been quoted often by Julian of Norwich. She lived in the 1300s, but she made a statement that people still quote today, and for good reason. It's something to really take and hold on to and let this become a prayer and a motto. Julian of Norwich, spiritual leader in the 1300s, people had come to listen to her because she would share. She was going through these dark nights of the soul, and she went into deep prayer. She would pray for God to give her direction and answer. And she'd write down what he would reveal in her heart. And sometimes she'd have visions, and she would write that down too. And in her last dark night of the soul, she was praying to God. She wanted delivered out of this darkness, and she had this vision, and she wrote down what Jesus told her. She shared that, and now it's quoted now for 700 years. And after that, she lived another 35 years with this, you know, peace and joy. Here's what she wrote down that she said, God revealed to my heart in that darkness. She said this, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. All shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well, because again, the tomb is empty, and Christ rose triumphantly, conquered death, held the grave, and now he's praying moment to moment for you and I. In the 1400s, Thomas Kempis said, all men desire peace, but very few desire those things that make for peace. He was talking mostly about peace between individuals, but a sense of that inner peace as well. And most just want it automatic without having to, to make any steps. But again, the best way to apply the word of God is to pray it and then to take action on it. Not to sit back and do nothing, but to say, listen, if today I'm not in that peace, I pray God give me that peace through my high priest who prays it and delivered it and purchased it for my life. Listen to something here from Steve Jobs, clearly a genius. Changed a lot of society with technology. But he's also somebody that sought deep philosophy and taught that as well. And one of the things he said that is so, so important to hear were these words. When you grow up, you tend to get told that the world is the way it is. And your life is just to live your life inside the world. Life can be so much broader once you discover one simple fact. And that is this. Everything around you that you call life was made up by people who were no smarter than you. And you can change it. You can influence. And once you learn that, you'll never be the same again. Listen, there's all sorts of talking heads out there. There's all sorts of things that are said. People love to have titles and try to speak with authority and tell others what to do and how to live. And the reality is, Job said, it's a world filled with people no smarter than you or I. 
And you and I can change our life in a moment as we apply faith. We can start to influence the people around us when we stand on the promises of God. Stop being concerned about all the rules about trying to get the approval or what people think and say, listen, my audience is one. It is Christ. Hafez, a Persian poet in the 1300s, listen to the words of wisdom from this individual. Fear is the cheapest room in the house. So true. It's so easy to live in that place in fear. And so many people do, and the culture's caught up in it, and they want others to live that way. And it means to simply surrender and not try. It's easy. It's the cheapest room to live in is fear. But Hafez goes on and says, I'd like to see you living in better conditions. Because the reality is there's a different room in that house. And it's one filled with the joy in Christ, the victory in Jesus, and the faith that says, my high priest ever liveth to intercede on my behalf so I don't have to live in fear anymore. Notice the next verse in Hebrews, verse 26 says, it was indeed fitting we should have such a high priest. Listen to how the writer defines Christ. Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. That's the risen Christ. That's who's on your side, on my side. That's who's got our best interest at heart. The one that is holy, innocent, unstained, and separated from sinners. He's high above the heavens. There's plenty of silly TV shows and documentaries that'll try to talk about Jesus and say what a good man, a moral teacher. He's God in the flesh. He's the word made flesh. He is the perfect one, the holy one. Over and over and over, scripture says, unstained, without sin, blameless, perfect, because in his perfection, he can erase your sin and my sin. The high priest in the Old Testament, they could not do that because they were fallen men. They were stained. They were not innocent. The same as you and I. Then Jesus came and laid down his perfect, sinless life and took it back up again. And in his perfection, then he declares our sin is no more. That's why we say faith is rest and peace. Because when you know that truth and you live that, the burdens are lifted. And then you can say, I don't have to listen to the fear voices. I can live my life in Christ and influence people in a positive way. Augustine said it so well. We sin when we have our loves out of order. It might be time in this Lenten season to stop and say, Lord, be my first love again. Because when he is not supreme in our life, we compromise. We live in self. We live in selfishness. And we find ourselves then in sin. But when our love is in order and Christ is first in our life, we live different. We can always start over. It never is about our circumstances or how young we are or how old we are. It's just about a decision that says today is that day. Think about it. Laura Ingle Wilder in the 1800s, she authored her first book when she was 65 years old. Vera Wang, the wedding planner, the most famous dress maker, didn't start designing gowns till she was in her 40s. Julia Child, the beloved chef. Her career did not begin till she was in her 50s. 
And Martha Stewart that's built a a billion dollar industry, her career took off. She was in her late 40s. You see, it's never about how old you are. It's just about saying, yes, Lord, here I am. Send me. Florence Nightingale, the founder of modern nursing in the 1800s said, I attribute my success to this. I never gave or took an excuse. Perhaps in this Lenten season, it's time to say, Lord, what excuses I've been making, I lay those aside. And I just take hold of this life that is truly life through the one who is holy and innocent. As Maxwell says, it's easier to move from failure to success than from excuses to success. You see, failure is just feedback. But excuses, they paralyze. They lead us to to be lazy, to not try. The same as fear. That's why fear is so cheap. There's a different place to live. A place where life is found. It's not found in trying to please others or worrying about what somebody else might think. It's found in saying, I live my life day to day based on this. That tomb is empty. My high priest now at the right hand of God prays for me. Because he's holy and innocent. High above the heavens. He's declared my sin is canceled. Declared me forgiven. So I live without fear. Love the story of Chris Carr. Shares about being a successful marketing executive. Kind of living a dream life. Started to feel ill. Went to a doctor. He gave her a, a terrible diagnosis. Told her she had this advanced stage cancer and had weeks to live. She went to a second doctor. Same thing. A third doctor. Same thing. A fourth doctor. Told her she could beat this. She said, what do I need to do? He said, you need to change your life completely. Begin to eat 100% nutritious food. No more junk food. No more sugar. No more fast food. Just nutritious food every meal. Begin to exercise. Begin to walk in faith. What happened to Chris Carr? Well, it's now 15 years since that first doctor. She's at her healthiest in life, and she's a a best-selling author and a nutritionist training other people how they can also overcome illness. I love what she had to share. Life has a much bigger plan for you. Happiness is part of that plan. Health is part of that plan. Stability is part of that plan. Constant struggle is not. As Hebrews says, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. I want to close with an example. It can be the same for your life and my life. True success is peace. This is something Charles Spurgeon shared 150 years ago. Notice the dichotomy between the two individuals he's about to talk about. One is a martyr tied to a stake. The other is the executioner, and he's about to light that fire to consume this man who's about to die for his faith. 
Listen to Spurgeon's words. A martyr was fastened to the stake. The sheriff about to execute him expressed sorrow that he should set fire to the pile. The martyr answered, Come, lay your hand upon my heart. See if it does not beat quietly. The sheriff did so and found the martyr to be quite calm. Now said the martyr, Lay your hand upon your own heart and see if you are more troubled than I. And as the sheriff did so, he acknowledged his own anxiety. And the martyr said, then go your way. And instead of weeping for me, weep for yourself. We live in a a time where there is so much unrest, so much fear. But there's a life available, seized by Christ. You and I can simply enter into when we surrender all to him and then know and believe and pray every day. I know my Savior lives and he ever intercedes on my behalf because he is that perfect holy one who rose up from the grave and walked out of that tomb alive so that I can now live life just like Jesus. No fears, no doubts, no compromise. Rather resting in the truth, knowing that life has a much bigger plan for you. Happiness is part of that plan. Health is part of that plan. Stability is part of that plan. Constant struggle is not. That's why true success True success is peace.